The Gamers Tavern Podcast is sponsored by Pinnacle Entertainment Group's Savage Worlds game, featuring Deadlands, 50 Fathoms, East Texas University, Weird Wars, and dozens of fantastic licensees. Savage Worlds is fast, furious, and fun. Welcome to another episode of the Gamers Tavern Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Watson. And I'm Daryl Mott Jr. And, and I'm the special are. guest, Ivan Van Dorman. <laughs> yes, yes I he is. I introduced myself. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very talented man, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we, are, we are very proud to welcome back Ivan on the show. He's a, uh, been on the show like three, four times at three. this point. This is his three third time. time. Hooray, third. third time's a charm. Yeah, there you go. We actually have a new sponsor we're going to talk about a little bit. We have a new sponsor for the show. It's Noble Knight Games. Noble Knight. They are a very accredited, well-known uh, online store, are they not? Yes, an online retailer. I have used them many times. Uh, if you are looking for a rare or out-of-print or used game that you remember from the past or even the new stuff that's just coming out on the shelf, Noble Knight is the place to go get it. Isn't that right, Daryl? Yep. My first order through them is actually coming because I'm trying to rebuild my collection that I sold off over the years. My first shipment from them is actually coming in on Friday. I've been got the tracking open in the other window hitting F5 constantly because I want my stuff. And the last, thing, the last thing I want to say about Noble Knight is that they are great also if you want to sell things, if you're looking to get rid of some of uh, your old game books or something like that. Get in touch with these guys. They are really – I've worked with them many times uh, when I uh, had to move or something like that. And you can ship them your uh, your old games and they will sell them. And the last last thing I'll say is actually on a random bit of uh, note is Noble Knight was one of the first vendors that I remember seeing that ordered Outbreak Undead when it first came out. Woo! There you go. Even before it was with Publishing with Studio 2, they ordered a bunch of stuff from us directly, and that made them forever lovely in my book. So, Oh, yeah. And if you're looking for anything from Noble Knight, you can find out more about them at gamerstavern.org slash Noble Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T. Woo. Yeah, now, so I hear you're you're posting through Studio Two, and that's awesome. That's Jim Cersei's Studio. Yeah, they, we've they've been with us. That's Jim Cersei's Studio Two, and we've yeah. been with them for the last three or four years. So yeah. they were that was just Noble Knight grabbed us when we were still, right. um, you know, direct direct. Order, I just so. I just want to say like uh, Studio Two is great, good people because uh, I work through them for Accursed. Yep, and right, right, right. we're working very hard right now to get the uh, Shintar books out through Studio Two as well. So yeah, no, Jim, Jim's a he's he, there is there is very few men in the industry who will just tell you like it is. Oh yeah, and yeah. he is he is he is the man. So he's a very good communicator. So let's uh, talk about our show tonight. Thanks for coming on again with us, Ivan. Uh, my pleasure. We're going to have you once again. This is the third time. Tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and where they might know you from in the form of a gaming character sheet. Glory and good fortune to you, friends. My name is Ivan Baron Van Norman, and I am here today to speak to you about what is great and what is fine. And <laughs> yes. So my my great character sheet would pretty much you know how in like a lot of like werewolf and or new world of darkness even old world of darkness game how there's like the aristocrat that has no combat but speaks very well and can kind of bluff and uh talk them way out of any out of any scenario that they can imagine the entire so, clan torridor 
<laughs> you know, um, I, I almost envision myself as a lot of that. I love marketing. I love helping people get projects up off the ground. And one of my mantras in life is by allowing others to shine, I, are, I as a result, shine brightest. So I love helping people get stuff out of the ground. So my background is primarily in marketing and in game design because I love games. But before being on the, uh, I wouldn't say critically acclaimed, but <laughs> but at least um, well received, well received show, uh, King of the Nerds. I basically was working with Hunter's Books, which was a role playing game developer that made Outbreak Undead. That was a very weird loop. I that there was not a cyclical timeline at all that kind of jumped everywhere so <laughs> so i guess you could say my character how would you like me to break down my character sheet well i think you pretty much uh covered most of it are you an experienced zombie hunter actually i have spent many days doing shooting ranges and i've also done a couple of survival classes mostly as research for you know the game but as a result i feel like i've become pretty prepared i am less prepared than i used to be when we were working on this more adamantly in 2011 i was i was a little more fit than i was now and i was a mu- probably a much better shot but at least to this stage i can confidently say that i have enough experience to ironically go out in the first few minutes <laughs> of the movie so <laughs> and i would the- argue that you actually have more mental fortitude now because you're able to deal with twitch stream chat rooms ah yeah that's the other thing is is yes and actually i love the twitch stream chat room for a little bit of for the people playing the home game here um (laughs) yeah i am currently doing a twitch show on geek and sundry um in which i play board games with fine folks and we play with you the audience on either tabletop simulator or we find really cool digital versions of board games because they're out there now you know the industry has grown enough that you can find wonderful digital versions of analog games out there in the ether oh, yeah. webs so and uh, uh, the last episode i saw was a big huge giant uh uh, Star Trek Attack Wing, where you <laughs> where Deep Space Nine got destroyed. It got obliterated by the Klingons. Not not you know? no not destroyed. It was a curb stomp. Yeah, it really like I think I think the most damage we did to the Klingon fleet is we took down one of their shields. One hit. You, know, you guys got one hit. I got to say this about <laughs> Star Trek Attack Wing: the guy whose job it was to make a model of the Borg cube. He went home early that day, right? It was like that's that's like the easiest job you got. Make it make a board cube model. Okay. Here's the cube. Nice. Nice. Here's the cube. And the oh, thing is, it actually looks good though. Yeah, I was gonna tell you, it's actually extremely detailed, Ross. Like you look at it no, and no, it's I, I was making a joke. Yeah, right. no, it, I know. It's very well detailed. You're right. Joking aside, it has some some texture to it. And it was right. uh I want to do that show again, and I think it's actually Zach over at the who's the producer of the Twitch stream. He he we got an we got a good enough reception from that show that he's agreed to let us do like a big miniature event at least once a month oh, or nice. so. So we're going to do more of that. And if, and if you know, depending on what happens next month or so, I'm going to see if we can maybe go like, you know, Star Trek Attack Wing Part 2, the Borg Cube intervenes. Nice. You know? So Now, you know, just to throw a few things out there, I don't know if you've played any of these on your show or not, but uh, Spartacus is a fantastic oh. game. Oh, I haven't played Spartacus. Oh, my God. It's so good. And then there's, of course, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Yeah, so I have played Sentinels of the Multiverse, and they have the – ironically, they have the board game version on Tabletop Simulator, and then they have like the 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 single-player battle game 
that you do. Where it's it's actually ironically, you can only really play it like it's not competitive. You're still playing a bunch of people right. against the villain, but you're playing card game. You're basically playing actions against each other. So, so um, one last thing about your gaming character sheet: you have a special new project that's coming out very soon. A new supplement for your home family. Activate ability. Yes. Making children. <laughs> um, You're about to be a father. I am about to be a father. Yes. And I and actually someone on my fan page said it in the most perfect way. I was really uh I was I was both in um I, I thought it was epic and touching at the same time. He basically said, Welcome to the other side. Character creation in real life is way more fun. <laughs> <laughs> no. Wow. I thought that was brilliant. That mm-hmm. is excellent. Oh, I remember that. And I'm just going to look at my kid like a stat sheet for the entire time. <laughs> so how many of those uh, Think Geek jumpers do you have so far with the stats? Uh, 18 charisma I, and 2 strength? Actually, ironically, it's a bunch of Game of Thrones ones. I have like a <laughs> – I like have a have a House Stark poop is coming. You know, <laughs> nice. Uh, onesie and a bunch of other silly things, but we're certainly not lacking in the nerdy uh, baby apparel category. That's so, funny. one last thing uh, I want to say about Ivan and his character sheet: uh, if anybody <laughs> out there has seen the Hunger Games, right, and they're going through all the training that they do to go do the Hunger Games and all that, uh, there's the guy who learns all the camouflage. You know, he gets the the makeup on and he looks like a tree and stuff like that. I've always thought of Ivan when I see that part. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> yeah, because you have a skill in that area. I guess that's true. I mean, I have a, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty. Although that, that would assume if I'm going to be hiding and camouflaging that I'm like not engaging. You know? Oh no, no, you would be scaring the crap out of all the other guys <laughs> trying to hunt you down. You'd be like, I'm a dragon, motherfucker. What's up? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I definitely would appre- appreciate like being able to come back from behind a tree and just go grot, you know. <laughs> but uh. That, I appreciate that, Ross. I, I I I appreciate that you think I am both uh, untrustable and sneaky in the sense that there is <laughs> that you have to constantly be afraid of if I'm going to pop out of a corner and, and get you. Yeah. Honestly, I, I don't trust anyone. I, I live in a bunker with all kinds of weapons and, and supplies for the next zombie apocalypse because I know my plan is going to fail. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of your zombie survival plan, we'll fail. So we are um, – I, I was hoping to be able to chat with you guys a little bit about the fact that we are actually doing second edition. We've officially announced Ooh. Outbreak Undead's second edition. Congratulations. After, thank you. I know after the timely uh, – basically, we've, we've been out of print for um, first edition long enough. We're like, yeah, you know, we should probably – she either probably reprint first edition or make second edition. <laughs> now we talked to, we talked about this last year right after Gen Con, I think. One of the most beautiful products that we'd ever seen, like as just an amazing looking book, was Outbreak Deep Space. Oh, thank you. Yeah. God, it was such a good looking book. And, Hell uh, yes. <laughs> and uh we uh and the good news is is that we learned uh, not only like we got the best part out of that and we've taken that mantra of like making a extremely well designed book and we just made it more streamlined. So you're gonna get a good looking book like Outbreak Deep Space with the second edition, but it's not gonna be as crunchtastic because Outbreak Deep Space was a pretty crunchy game. You so know. the difference between first edition outbreak and the second edition outbreak is is more streamlined process 
faster play like um it's it's doesn't have as much of a learning curve because first edition had as soon as you got it you got it like it was a great game once you got past the mechanics and as soon as you knew how to play it it was a very easy game to play so we're now getting you to that stage a lot quicker there was a lot of issues with combat with the living in first edition because it mostly just dealt with the mechanics of dealing with the undead and we've kind of figured that out so that now not only can you play against like a biologically alive creature Creatures, but and but you now can account for things like vigilantes and um, you know uh, mutated humans stuff really? that you would expect in like other survival stuff that's starting to grow like Crossed or The Road or even like Mad Max like you could totally mm-hmm. run a Mad Max game with Outbreak Undead Second Edition Saw so. Fury Road for the second time last night so it's so good it is so goddamn good it's so good my friend my friend described it he says. Uh, I, I, I didn't know exactly how I felt when I walked out of that theater, but I sat there and molded over and I realized what George Miller was actually doing was a mic drop. He went up on stage and he said – he went up on stage and he said, it's a car chase. Fuck you. And dropped the mic. <laughs> it makes sense. It's I was absolutely like, – Yeah, pretty much and I love it. So yeah. – I was going to say my favorite thing on the press tour though was they were doing a – uh, press conference and someone asked him, uh, so he said, uh, the, the feminist propaganda and yeah, right. and then just the, the look on his face when he just looks over and it's like, the hell is with this guy? I don't think they just saw the back, same movie I did. And then just turned back on and said, no, <laughs> and moved so, on. <laughs> now, speaking of zombies stuff, I really got to get this out really quick here because we have Ivan on the show and I really want to tell somebody about this. Okay, I can't. I can't say the project name. I mean, that's okay. still under wraps. It's all okay. off the record, you know, but I am creating undead dinosaurs for a project and I'm really excited about it because, really? yes, because I get to name them really cool things. And so <laughs> I want, I want to run this past you. I have three different types of, of, of undead dinosaurs. I have the, I have the carcassaurs. Okay. Carcassaurs. Yeah, which you're pretty much your, your ghoul types, right? Right. I, I got your skeleraptors, which are your skeleraptors. Great. Yeah. And then right. I have the the terrifying Z Rex. Z Rex. Okay, I can totally see a Z Rex. That's good. Then you, you have you have Carcassaurs. You've got uh, Skeleraptors. Yep. Oh man, you have to find other like anagrams that go with that. Like it's like something that works with like Wraith or Ghoul that fits in with it. But no, I think they're all good. The only one that I'm not as big of a fan of is your first one. Skeleraptors is on point. Z Rex. You don't like Carcassaurus? Oh, okay. I'm not a fan of Carcassaur because okay. it doesn't quite sound enough like Carcass. If all you right. called it Carcassaur, you know, and you emphasize the full carcass of it, then then maybe the, it would the be carcassness. good. Yeah, because otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, it, uh, like Carcassaurus kind of sounds like he's a canker sore. Okay. Right. You know what? That's fair. And see, now that I have that feedback, I, I can I can go on to improve this awesome unnamed project. So thank you, sir. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I'm I'm happy. I want to know what this thing is. Yeah. Well, maybe, uh, you know, off the record, I might tell you later, but we're we can't say it on the show. So let's That's go on fair. to the next part of our show right now. So after we get done with the gaming character sheet, uh, we like to talk about what we've been playing lately. That's right. I'm going to start with Daryl. Daryl, what you've been playing lately, bud? Um, I haven't gotten a chance to play anything since the last time I recorded because we've been recording uh, shows back to back because we had a lot of friends who have Kickstarters going. They're like, oh, hey, can I get on the show? And I'm like, okay. 
So we're we're recording a little bit back to back, but what I have been doing is completely reorganizing my game shelf for a secret thing that you guys should be hearing more about come late July, early August if the timeline works out. Is it is it still vague booking if it's audio? Uh, <laughs> vague, vague casting, vague casting. Vague casting. Vague casting. Okay, but yes, I've got a. Sec- I have a secret project for once Woo! that I can't announce. But congratulations, yeah, Daryl. Thank you, thank you. I've been waiting my entire life for this moment to be able to just dangle something in front of fans. I can't tell you yet. No, no tease. But yeah, uh, sometime later this summer, I'm going to be announcing a project that's, uh, I've got a lot of the equipment coming in this week to start setting up stuff. And it's, uh, I think it's a big move for Gamers Tavern, but I think it, we're, it's moving in the direction we need to go in. Okay. Sweet. Well, uh, Ivan, what have you been playing with? Uh, I had a, the big 3-0 birthday recently. Well, and one of that was uh, one of those. my lawn, you young I'm, I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> well, I'm, I've, I've hopped the fence and I'm on the other side of the lawn now, too, with you. So, um, well, la- well, last week, Ross left because you just joined me in the 30s. Ross just left us a <laughs> week ago. To go into the big four oh. Happy birthday, Ross. Thank you, and happy birthday to you, sir. So please uh, tell us what you've been uh, doing. so one of the one of uh, we did IvanCon, which was like a long five day event of like all the different different events every evening. And one of those was like an all night RPG session that started Woo. like seven PM and it was gonna go into like whenever we're done with the one off. Man, but um, college. <laughs> and I know, right? That's what I wanted. I wanted to feel like that, like experience again. And um, um, we played the for- Werewolf the Forsaken Second Edition. Wow, so, cool. I know. And uh, actually, we the the campaign was called A Pack of Brothers, and we did a World War II scenario in which basically like an, uh, a special ops oh. of werewolves were infiltrating Nazi Germany, like a band and- of brothers. Like a band of brothers, but a pack yes. of brothers. Okay, and all, we were debating between that and Return to Castle Wolfenstein. So, you know, mm. um, I know. Terrible, terrible, terrible. <laughs> uh, no, it sounds like an awesome game. World War II, werewolves, I'm on board. Yeah, it was it was fun. And they all had their own special skills and they were all from different clans and brought together under a greater council. So it was it was a blast. They they had to deal it was they had to infiltrate en- enemy lines using the gauntlet. It was cool stuff. And that's what I've been playing. Other than that, I've been doing a lot of research on my own stuff, you know, obviously with Outbreak. And the only other thing that I really played pretty hardcore is just some more fifth edition stuff. So, you know, yeah, that's on my lineup. What about you, Ross? What are you playing? You know, you're the first guest that ever asked me that. <laughs> I, I always have to ask myself. So you, you are a very special person today. For Thank, thank you so much. For <laughs> thank you for asking me what it, I've been uh, w- Once a host, always a host. So. <laughs> Ivan's yeah. jockeying for my job as co-host, I think. <laughs> oh, no, I would never. You do such a good job, Daryl. Ross, Fight. what are you playing? Fights. <laughs> All right. So uh, here's one of the things I've been working on lately is Savage Rifts. I, was, I wanted to hear Ivan's reaction to, hear, to those words. Savage Rifts. We're doing uh, Savage Worlds uh, version in, in conjunction with Palladium and, and Pinnacle, uh, mm-hmm. a, Rifts, a Rifts game using the Savage Worlds system. And we've cool. been playtesting that. Uh, that's pretty exciting. We've been playing some Shine Tar on the weekends, and I have my 5th edition game as well. And in the meantime, I have started up a game on steam of valkyria chronicles which is oh, a- valkyria chronicles i forgot what you're talking about video games too that's right um those are allowed 
Those are allowed. How's I love Valkyria Chronicles. It it, it was a weird storyline, but such beautiful gameplay. Oh you know? god, I am just it's it's addictive. I'm like having to not play it right now. I'm like it's, just leave it alone. For me, it's like it's everything that you wanted an updated Final Fantasy Tactics to be. Yes, yes, so. that's a very good way to look at it. I am enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, so that's a thing that I, I am working on, and of course, I am uh, also working on the second thing, which Daryl mentioned I think earlier. He'd uh, before the show he'd mentioned he he forgot had heard of it but forgot what it was. It's Strike Force version two. Are you familiar with Strike Force, Ivan? I'm not. So back in the day, Aaron Alston was a, a big name designer who created a one of his first books was uh, basically his home campaign for hmm. uh, his, his superhero game. It was called Strike Force, and it was the first book, as far as I'm aware, historically speaking, that told the GM here's how you run a game. Like it really broke it down into, a, you know, this is what player types are like. This is what, you know, story arcs are going to be like. This is what subplots are going to be like. He, Interesting. He really he laid down a lot of stuff in Strike Force that went on to deeply influence a lot of Dungeon Master and Game Master guides. That's cool. Ever since. Okay. And we, we are working with his family to publish a version two version of that with oh. his notes. It's like a. It's not only a piece of gaming history, it's also a homage to Mr. Alston and his impact on the uh, Are you going to Brian Herbert it? Well, I'm not exactly sure what that means. So. Oh. <laughs> no, it's that's, it's just that Brian Herbert was Frank Herbert's son who took his notes from like in an archive and rewrote an entire series based off of his notes. It's actually not a bad thing because I actually like Brian Herbert. But you, okay. it, sound, it sounds like you're taking, his, you're taking his notes of his unpublished works and you're doing a yes. different version of it? Well, uh, we're doing a second – expanded edition of it is basically cool. a way to look at that and uh we're really excited how that's kind of working out so those are things i've been working on let's move on to tavern tales tavern tales tavern tales is where we get our guests to tell us a story of a memorable die roll <laughs> oh man i have to remember it obviously has to be something from pack of brothers because uh, oh, there was a couple, could. <laughs> there, was, there was a couple key moments there that were pretty amazing. Um, okay, so just to set the scene a little bit, the sun's starting to rise. All right, and they've basically been playing all night. They've managed to infiltrate through Nazi Germany. They they did their like first main objective, in which they met up with like their first military objectives, and then that's when they got like the seek the hint that they needed to go to the castle to go like take care of the bigger problem. Right, mm-hmm. so. Going from second act into third act, dealing with the bigger problem with the major confrontation at the end with the major villain. They lure themselves into a trap and they basically get caught in the worst scenario that they could trying to infiltrate into this castle. You know, um, also because the sun's rising, I just trying to like ex- expediate it a little bit because I wanted them to finish the, the actual campaign. Um, so I basically get them straight into the castle and just big werewolf battle. Right. Awesome. And- and a lot of them, they basically fall into a cell and they get they get told to put their hands up because all of these Nazis are pointing MP5s at them. They have to drop their weapons. But then one of them starts the battle up quick enough that they ha- basically have three other elder peers that they have to go against. So one of the elders peers goal is to get one of the Uratha, one of the regular werewolves up and then sacrifice him on a table to open up this giant death spirit, right? Whoa. So his first his so his first action is basically grabbing the first werewolf that he can get in full like wear form and just pick him up by the scruff of the neck and just like drag him to the table so that he can plunge a silver knife into him. And the best role that he had is basically 
basically he was handcuffed um, with silver handcuffs and this character and he was being dragged up his he got like uh, he had to do an espionage plus a strength check to try to break his manacles so that he could change because he couldn't change with the silver handcuffs on him right and he he exploded the dice like he had like five or six but i think he got like he got he got two exploding and then he exploded those two two more times for a total of like eight successes, which in you know the new system that's like a, a critical success, right? Right. So he didn't he didn't he didn't just like more. I, I basically allowed him to like break the manacles, take off the ward, and like turn into an awful form. So they're halfway up the stairs into this main room, and he's dragging him by the scruff of the neck, and he just like bursts into into Ushul form and they just start clawing at each other until while the other ones downstairs are figuring out like how to handle the situation downstairs. And that battle lasted for like 15 rounds and they kept saving their death uh, rage rolls over and over again. So they were nice. just they were just like they were focused. <laughs> yeah. And the and and what happened just as a final point of it, the best part is is that after he killed everybody, he finally failed his death rage roll. Where the final part of the game was basically the other team avoiding being killed by their main team member until nice. he got out of death rage. You know, nice. so that's my calm, story. Calm down, Bobby. It's over. <laughs> calm down, Bobby. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. But he's just and so they're darting back and forth, just trying not to get killed. So okay, that's that's a good story. So tonight's uh, episode is all about the unwritten rules of gaming. Right. Now, why don't you start? Why don't you tell us in a broad sense, what does that mean when we're talking about the unwritten rules of gaming? The unwritten, I don't know. I view it as like just thinking about the unwritten rules of gaming. It's like it's the stuff that you don't mention when you game. And for me, that's primarily like uh, hosting etiquette basically making the experience pleasant outside of the normal rules banter you know mm. so that's kind of how that's kind of how i view it it's it's what do you do to make your gaming experience more like a or i guess it doesn't have to be tailored specifically towards like people who are sophisticated versus people who like it nitty and gritty but like how do you cater your gaming experience so that it fits with your group of friends so that everyone has the maximum amount of fun yeah, and I think like every culture, right? We all have our own little foibles, our own little uh, traditions, our own little unwritten rules. It's just right. that's kind of how it goes when you have a culture like that. Like, like if I, like if I may start just to get it out because we live yeah. in LA. Like if we're gonna go travel to someone else's house to go play a game. It's usually the hostess' responsibility to offer food because everyone's paying for gas and time because L.A. sucks so much when it comes to driving. You know, If you're going to invite people over so that you don't have to travel anywhere, then you need to offer something uh, as a byproduct of that. So, so that's, that's an unwritten rule with us. Daryl, what's another example of an unwritten rule? Uh, for me, it's here, here's a question. There's this weird zeitgeist that happens with gamers where we all understand these same principles – but I can't remember them ever being codified anywhere. Does anyone know a single game that points out in the rules that metagaming is bad? Can you I'm think sure of there a, is one. Can you think? I'm, I'm sure, sure there is there, one. There's got to be. And almost all of these, we're talking about the unwritten rules. A lot of the rules we're going to be talking about when it comes to actual gameplay. 
some game is going to have them, and someone in the comments is going, well, actually, in this book. So, so we're talking about rules that are mostly unwritten or very rarely written, rather exactly. than never written. <laughs> but I cannot, off the top of my head, think of a – everyone knows you're supposed to play in character, use in character knowledge, not out of character knowledge. But I cannot think of a single – game system where that's actually written down I guess, anywhere. I guess that makes sense because most of the time when you have the basics of RPG, like when you see a book that takes the time to say this is what a role-playing game is, they're more advanced knowledge type of things. You know, they're just kind of things that you learn, that you just, you eventually learn by being in the space long enough, you know? It's yeah. like, and and usually it's like, again, it's social etiquette in gaming that you just learn from your peers, and even before the internet, this stuff was spreading around. Like I said, you could go to a convention across the country and people still had kind of the same idea of what the quote unquote unwritten rules were. Mm-hmm. Even well, if there's, you, even if you never talked to them because before the internet. Well, there's also, I mean, a lot of this stuff actually gets codified under different types of headings. Like I know I've written about how to be a good player before and I've written about dungeon master advice and things like that. And I think a lot of these things that are unwritten rules crop up under that paradigm of being a good player or being a good, you know, a good GM does the following kind of things. That's, that's where I think I I see them most of the time, most of the time. That's true. And there's a lot of those. And, and more often than not, you're seeing a lot of those breakdowns. It's like, you know, good tips for a GM, how to not be a crappy player, you know, and a lot of the zeitgeist is being explained, but it's only being done through like lifestyle columns and blogs and websites, you know, because people like to have content they can share, not necessarily because they don't know these things, because I very much doubt that like the metagamer is reading these blogs and then reads something that says, hey, don't metagame. And they're like, oh, I should stop metagaming. I would be surprised if if it was converting people over. I would hope that it is. But usually people who are so in their process enough to metagame don't really see outside forces like that. So so what are some other examples of uh, unwritten rules in, using the paradigm that we've established? Mm, I would say a lot of the unwritten rules that I my group – kind of knows is is that everyone has a different experience everyone wants have everyone is looking to have a similar experience right. and to and to not look especially when it comes to the gm not look to gift horse in the mouth you know <laughs> if if he's giving you a reasonable lead and he's pointing you towards a direction you know go with it yeah, if if you wanted very do some variation from it because it expands on your role playing, then awesome. But like, right. if the gym's pointing you one direction, don't go the other direction. Well, know? so yeah, there's times where that can be really great. But yeah, right. I, I, I in general, I agree with you. It's kind of uh, like what we talked about at Chupacabracon with the Shadowrun, where it's just like, nope, I don't want to take this mission. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, one that I one that I think is is. Well understood, but is rarely ever written down is, uh, for example, if you're using adventure modules in your game, that the that the players are not supposed to read those. (laughs) It's the GM who's supposed to read that. And the GM is supposed to read it thoroughly. Right. Like you don't show up. You don't show up to a guy running a a prepackaged adventure and have him go, wait a second, I haven't read this part yet. Right. That's that's also an unwritten rule. That's an I can absolutely see that. Oh, and oh, if you're going to run a game, like I guess that just kind of goes into the greater, like the more, the more general rule of like you know, come prepared. And if you're not, like communicate how you're going to deal with it. 
you know? So yeah. And, and uh, by the same token though, if I'm a player, right. Yeah. You, sh- I should not be whipping out the monster manual as soon as you start describing the bad guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys, we need to strike for its weak spot and it's uh, vulnerable to silver. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's very true. Unless your character is like a, uh, like a scholar in bestial lore and then yeah. you can roll for it and then you can whip out the monster manual. Kind of like a Van Helsing type in Ravenloft or something right. that could pull it yeah, off. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. You know, then Mon- you can monster, a witcher. A Witcher, actually, I'm playing Witcher two right now. Witcher three, it's it's very it's very fun. Well, so. which one? I'm also playing Witcher, and by that <laughs> I mean Witcher three. <laughs> you are the witchest. <laughs> I'm the witchiest. So uh, I, I realize that I just walked myself into a grammatical mess right there. I, <laughs> I don't know if Ross meant it as a joke or not, but I was confused too. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I thought it was hilarious. So uh, As go. soon as I said the words, I realized I just said the most confusing thing on the planet. <laughs> so, Can't uh-huh. be any more confusing than calling the first game Witcher. Okay, so Witch, Witcher, Witchist is what how Witch. it should progress, but no, it's... Witcher, witch is not a verb. How do you? Witch, how do you, is the you are one who, witches. You are what one if, who witches. What about <laughs> miniature etiquette? Like if you're using oh, miniature, miniature etiquette, bring your own goddamn, <laughs> you know, measuring tape, dude. Seriously. <laughs> if you don't right. have one, go borrow one from the front. Don't be that guy who forgot his for forgot his measuring tape you know i mean i guess it's okay if you're polite about it it's fine it happens and people lose things but i i appreciate the delineation between mine and yours when it comes to measuring tools now you so. you sir you sound like either a warhammer or war machine player when you say that yeah I'm, i was i mean i was i have played neither in a long time but at some point in my life i was both so. Yeah, that's where I get that same thing too. I'm like, where, where's your measuring tape? <laughs> where is it? <laughs> um, All right. So, like, if we're playing, if you let's say you're at our table and we're playing D and D and we're using miniatures, let's say oh, Bob. Those yeah. Let's say let's say Bob. I want to I want to pick on Bob. So Bob says he's gonna, you know, he's gonna move his figure and he picks him up and he puts him in a spot that his miniature couldn't get to. Right. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that's. That's a no-no. We're like, well, wait, wait a second. How do you get there? Right? Uh, and, and and then like take backs, right? I mean, there's all oh, right. Like a certain amount of commitment before you yeah. get into it because people get aggressive with their minis. Yeah, no, I can see that. In fact, if anything, I guess it's an unspoken rule that under most circumstances, the GM is the person who moves the models depending on your decision, you know, right. um, instead of you independently manipulating the models. So, you right. know, I'd be curious about what different cultures would be taking the stuff. Like you're saying unwritten rules too, but is there like cultural rules between certain groups that well, deal with I'm, these things? I'm sure LARPers have different rules than, <laughs> right. And, uh, then the, then the minute, then the Warhammer guys, then the, uh, than people who play like fourth ed minis yeah. versus fifth ed storytelling. Like so. for example, when I was a uh, heavy into Warhammer, right? There was this unwritten rule. And I remember it very fondly to this day that you never pick up someone's painted miniature un without permission. You always, you know, I always would point to it. I'd be like, can I pick up this guy? Yeah. Right? And they'd be like, Oh yeah. You know, and then I can look at it, but I don't just grab 
some guy's miniature that he spent, you know, hours and hours painting and, and, you know, painstakingly gluing to a base. And I don't just grab it in my grubby little hands because there's right. a chance it could just snap right the hell off. Licking, licking <laughs> nacho cheese off your fingers at the same time. <laughs> oh, oh, that sounds like a real life experience. Oh my God. Uh. Um, but interesting. Okay. Why, so, well, uh, wait, why does my orc now have Cheeto dust all over it? <laughs> That's a wash. It's just don't worry about it. It's just it's for texture. So, uh, He's got the bubonic orange plague. <laughs> it's a new Nurgle thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's uh it's gang orange. <laughs> gang orange. So um do you have I mean how many mini play uh mini games do you play, Daryl, that like you feel like there's un- do you feel like there's any unwritten rules that you have to that you just see people observe? Like you the, know? I I I put the one in the notes about moving because I, the one thing that comes up a lot when I played, when I played a lot of D and D that had a lot of, uh, maps on grid, like, uh, Pathfinder and fourth edition D and D where it's, okay, I'm going to move here. Well, you can't move there. Or if you move there, you're going to soak up an attack of opportunity from this guy, this guy, and this guy. Oh, I don't want to do that. Oh crap. Where was I at before? Right. And now you don't know where your starting point is. You just know you were 30 feet from where you, where you were trying to move. So I was like, Oh, was it this square or this square? Well, you was this. And then the, Five minute argument comes out of, well, he was there because if he wasn't there, I would have got a flanking bonus. So if he was there, I should have got a flanking bonus on that last roll. So okay. keep, you lose keep, time. Keep this track like a of edition game. Yeah. <laughs> or Pathfinder 2 just kind of gets a lot of that too. At least my players did. But right. if you're going to do, if you're going to, if you're going to do that, keep track of where you're going. Either count with right. your finger and leave the mini where it is and then move when you've decided where you're going, which is the board game etiquette. Or yes. keep a finger where you were or some sort of marker so you know where to go back to if something happens. Right. 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 Now, here's an interesting one is uh, rolling dice in the open or rolling them behind the screen. Um, I guess that's just a psychological thing. I don't think there's really an unspoken unspo- rule about that. Like if the GM wants to – I think it's just like a GM fiat thing. You know, if uh, if he wants to psychologically play the game of rolling it in front of you versus checking stuff in the back, but it's the GM's choice. Yeah, it's the it's the choice. I've had players who were like, "Let me see that roll." I'm like, "No, no, the, the screen is here for a reason." Well, right. I am I am a diehard like I will go out and, and protest on the street with a sign kind of guy about rolling in the open. I love, I, I think rolling in the open is the best way to go. So there's that. <laughs> That's fair. And I don't, and I don't really have any other way about it because most of the time I'm doing ghost rolling anyway, you mm-hmm. know? So I'm, I'm not necessarily, I'm not every roll that I make doesn't necessarily mean something. Exactly. So I, ghost rolling is where you roll it and you run next to it as the dice is. <laughs> no, that's no. something else. Okay. It's, what's no, that's, ghost that's, roll? That's, Ghost rolling is just when you're rolling, but it has no reason. It's like uh, that's, where, that's when you roll the die and you make it sound effect and go look at it and go, hmm, okay, so what do you do now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, just to instill that paranoia in their head. Yeah, and, and it works good in survival horror games and, and stuff like that in which you're just – you're making arbitrary checks just to like – keep people aware of what's going on I don't know, because the, the, you know because you know people yeah go ahead I was gonna say, oh no, no no keep keep going roll th- 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 no 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 do what you're doing roll th- 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 <laughs> okay so yeah fine. you find that and roll th- 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 what are you rolling for oh y- you don't know yeah no what are you rolling for it's like don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> it's not rolling yet <laughs> every, every, everything's fine as you say so yes. you know all right now um what about 
an unwritten rule about. I mean, I, I think it's an obvious rule, but it's it's one that's rarely ever articulated. Always bring your character sheet to the game. Yes, yes. And if yes. you if you you should probably have it backed up on Dropbox or Google Drive or OneDrive or something. That's right? a newer thing for me, um, but I would agree that is kind of a nice thing to to have because normally I just have to depend on it, but. I think having a Dropbox that has it available so you can print it wherever you're supposed to be if you forget it's really good. Yeah. So. And that goes on to other things with character creation. Um, this is one that's, again, very uh, common. If you have a kind of weird build or if you have a character that's built off of sort of random books, maybe like a third-party published uh, book or off the internet or a fan conversion of something, you probably need to run it by the GM first – before and bringing those, it to the table. Right? And uh, I would say even more so, even to expand off that further, also know your special rules, you know? Yeah. Like, don't, don't depend on other people to kind of like, like, if you've got something weird on your deck, make sure that it's accounted for so that the GM doesn't have to look it up every single time you forget, you know? Like grapple rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, you know, for example, like, if you're playing Dragonborn, in fifth in fifth edition, if you have special abilities, special racial abilities, you want to have those on hand. You know, either because Okay, I'm gonna breathe on him now. How does the breathing work? Right. You're the one who picked the dragonborn. You should know this. You should know this. You should I, I say that's an unspoken rule. Fusroda. <laughs> and then um but you were saying but you were saying initially, Ross, that it was uh that for you it was not just that, but also it wasn't the character sheet. What say it again? Sorry, the uh, having a backup. The ba- of- yeah, yeah, but after that, it wasn't the backup. It was something. Okay, so if you have a weird or experimental build, you know, it's doing something by uh, a third party or or a book that you maybe got off the internet, that kind of a thing. Like wanna- the G- the GM says, okay, we're going to be playing. Uh, you can go use this book, this book, and this book, and then you look through all the books, and you're like, oh, hey, there's this really weird. I can do like a, a chain fighter mage. Right. Using some, weird, of- using some weird feet combination, race combination. The GM probably picked those books for a reason. So I think you should really, Hey, uh, I know you said these are, these are what we're looking for, but I found a way to do this thing. Is this thing cool? Right. Right. And I think here's another one I want to get into a little bit because I have a great story. Never copy another player's character concept. Oh, Carrie, okay. <laughs> that's right. That's a very – I didn't even think about that. That's so true. <laughs> All right. So we're, I was playing Deadlands uh, back yeah. in the 90s and I, I had my uh, my friend George and I were playing Deadlands. And George wants to play Jonah Hex. So he shows up with like the scarred face – and, you know, he has all these he, – he, he's good at the following things. He's good at gambling. He's good at shooting people. And he knows a lot of things about the Weird West, right? OK. OK. Completely independently, I decided I wanted to make a veteran riverboat gambler, OK? And I decided that the things that you would learn as a veteran riverboat gambler going up and down the Mississippi in Deadlands would be – Knowing how to gamble, <laughs> shooting people, and knowing a lot of stuff about the Weird West. So he was doing Jonah Hex and you were doing Maverick. Yeah, but the thing is, our character sheets were nearly identical. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And and I, I had no idea how much problems this is going to cause when we we, we get into it's, – it's, it's all about managing expectations, right? Because we get into a fight and George is like, well, I'm Jonah Hex, so I'm going to be really good at gunning these dudes down. I whip out my gun and I'm going to you, – you guys go ahead. I got this. And I've said, well, I'm actually pretty good at guns too. I'll, I'll help you. 
And he's like, no, uh, I'm good. Really? <laughs> you know, and we just kind of kept stepping on each other's toes all the time in character until we sat down and talked about it and realized without meaning to, we had just, you know, made I'd the same character, made the same damn character. So I had to, you know, I, I owned up to it and said, I'm very sorry. I will play someone else. There's that. But well, you that's, had no idea, too. And that's kind of one of the things about communicating beforehand um, is to because that that I, I don't blame you for that, Ross, because you both did it independently of each other. It was it was serendipity that that kind of came into being. I, I've had um, players do it intentionally. And that's the problem. You know? I, I had I had one guy in my group. Uh, it was actually uh, Gary Ross from the D&D game. Yeah, uh, he was playing uh, th- third edition just come out. He decided he was going to play a monk, and so he built this monk that was actually pretty badass, which is kind of hard to do in third edition in, in hindsight. But he uh, made this cool monk, and then the other guy joined up like two weeks later. It's like he saw uh, his character's like I'm going to make a monk too, and his monk just wasn't as good, but was trying to do the exact same things. But well, there, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot to be said there about the role of the GM. And the role of the players and the role of the group in how to not have that happen. Mitigate it. Yeah. And open communication uh, beforehand. And but I guess that I think that speaks perfectly what Daryl said to the unspoken rule, because he basically that was an unspoken rule. Like, hey, don't take that guy's character. You know, honestly, I've no I that's something I've never seen written down anywhere. I think all of the things we talked about. I mean, the yeah. suggestions in a lot of them, especially uh, Shadowrun, you, it's, you want a diverse party. Same thing with D&D. You want a diverse party. Diverse That's what they party. say, but they never say, okay, well, we've got all the roles covered and we've still got another player. Yeah, they're not, they're not talking about gender minorities. <laughs> right. They're, they're talking, talking, to- <laughs> talking about your active role in the campaign, <laughs> right. what you're wanting to do. So right. uh, it, it makes sense. I mean, is, you're right. It isn't just about having a well-rounded party. It's also just if you have ex- if you have excess – like diversify, specialize, you know? So yeah, there's, I, that being said, you can have some backups. If you need two medics, as long as sure. they're different characters, you know? There's really can, nothing wrong with having, yeah, exactly. If you, if you do it right, it's fine. Right. Combat there's medic a, versus support medic. There's a guy in Back. my birthright group, for example, that just hit fifth level and he got to pick a third level spell. And he went so far as to communicate. He's like, hey, he went to the other full spellcaster at a party. He's like, what are you choosing for your third little spell? Because I don't want to pick the same thing. I think it'd be cool if we had you know, some variety. Spells. Yeah. I was like, that's neat. You know, that was a neat way to do that. I have to tell you, I had a third edition monk, a 3.5 edition monk, and I, uh, I loved him. He actually took a vow of poverty, and he mm. had not a damn thing to his name in that entire two-year campaign. So, you know. He had his pride. He had his pride, and he gave all, he gave all of his drops to to the homeless. So he had his honor, <laughs> and and his magical aura, which gave him deflection. <laughs> all right, so here's like one more. I think we need to address. Don't roll dice unless the GM says you need to roll a dice. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. I mean, there, there's the nervous rollers, people who just roll because they're they're looking for something to do. But it is noisy and it does take away from the space. You're right. So um, that's interesting. <clears throat> do you see that a lot though in your games, Ross? I we were honestly reaching a little bit. I think here on some of these, well, we were like, well, so, I don't know. And I think some of them maybe you got your players know these unwritten rules, and some of mine don't because I had a guy. In my game where he was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Roll the dice. I'm like, you don't need to roll the 
Okay. Uh, you ro- you now now you rolled a one. Okay, you fall off the one foot high step because you had to roll the dice. Are you happy now? <laughs> I have yeah. a I have a group of seven players, and six of them are extremely ver- uh, veteran game masters. There you so go. That's, that's part of why I was like, I'm not sure these. Well, I guess it is kind of unwritten, you know. <laughs> but I do, I do see, I do see this unwritten rule happen a lot in demo games because right. I do remember running a lot of DM, uh, demo games at at um, at Gen Con, and people do just compulsively roll one because they want to speed it along, but they don't necessarily need to do it, you know. Or like I said, the big thing is, is that they'll just pick up dice and roll it, you know compulsively just kind of adding extra noise to the table, you know, because it, it feels good for them to be doing something, but there's no reason to do it. So quick question. Have either of you guys ever had this guy or gal at your table where it's, they, you say, okay, what are you doing your turn? Okay. I'm going to attack. I already rolled it here. I got a 19. Oh, that guy. I, I, I I rolled it whenever it was his turn. So you didn't have to wait on me when it's, and it's that guy that's been sitting there rolling the entire time. And then yeah, it's like he st- he st- he stopped roll. when he got a good roll, pretty much. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, no, no, no. The, the other ones were just practice. That last one was my real roll. That's that's interesting because I I see those, but I don't. It's like I have to decide if that's just like a jerk tactic or if that's like an unspoken rule. I guess it should be an unspoken rule. It's like if you're gonna roll, like let it be the roll that that happens right there under under the watchful eye of the of of everyone there. Don't let it be. Don't don't like meta your role. Does and that might go into meta gaming, and that just might go into a general rule well, of thumb. This is know? this is kind of edging into the whole, you know, Whedon's law because, you know, if you play with people a lot and you trust them, frankly, if you trust them, they, and they say they rolled the nineteen, then fine, they rolled the nineteen. Uh, but if you're playing with a guy for the first time, or if you had a con or something, there's a, it's a much different situation. And if I saw that guy rolling dice like crazy, and it was the first time. I was gaming with him or we're gaming at a convention or something. Yeah, I would probably treat it a little differently. But if it's, you know, if it's Bill Keys, which I'm not accusing Bill of being a compulsive roller, but if it was Bill Keys and he was just sitting there rolling dice and I asked him, hey, uh, what, what should you get for initiative? And he told me in 19, I would believe him because I trust Bill, right? Right. I guess that's true. There's a certain level of, of familiarity and not wanting yeah. to call people out. Just, but I guess the, the greater rate is, is that if Bill Keys, he's a person you respect. Do you still think that that compulsive rolling is 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 he is he disobeying like a rule of thumb <laughs> you know we're just beating bill up today i'm sorry bill <laughs> sorry for, bill for listeners we're beating you up i really apologize i uh, needed a name um you know i don't know uh that's a good question i'm i don't think that i don't know if compulsive rolling is something i would really crack down on as long as we were all having a good time and it wasn't distracting if it was distracting if it was kind of a thing i'd be like hey man uh do you mind waiting on that calm, for a bit? calm down <laughs> Um, and I guess that's all it comes down to. That was all my point too. It's like just adding noise to the table isn't helpful, you know. Yes. If you're doing it because it's fun and no one's like having a bad time out of it, then yeah, if it's not hurting anybody, so you know. All right, let's take a quick break and then we will jump back into the second half of the show. Sweet. Are you looking for a new game to play? Drive Through RPG is the internet's largest source of role playing games. Enjoy our game table episodes with Shadowrun, Dungeons and Dragons, or Mutants and Masterminds, and you want to join in? Or is World of Darkness, Battletech, or Fate more your thing? Or maybe you just want to check out games from our guests like The Cursed and Shinecar, The Savage World Settings. 
Just go to GamersTavern.org slash DriveThruRPG and you can have a new game to play in minutes. And they also have the largest selection of free games, source books, and starter sets anywhere in the world. Go to GamersTavern.org slash DriveThruRPG and support the show with every purchase. And we're back with Ivan Van Norman, and we are talking about the unwritten rules of gaming. You know what's interesting is we were just talking about compulsory rolling of dice. I think there's actually like a whole set of unwritten rules specifically just about dice. Here's one I'm curious to ask you guys about. Who was the first person who started the don't touch my dice thing? Mm. Everyone does the don't don't touch someone else's dice. There's like a whole list of superstitions about dice, and that's number one. And I want to know where it's everywhere, but I don't know. No one has an origin for it. Well, I can tell you this. I don't know who started it, but I can tell you who is the most uh, fervent proponent of it. And that would that would be Bob Herzog of the Knights of the Dinner Table. Uh, (laughs) He he has he has constantly and consistently throughout the years pointed out that you just do not touch a man's dice. It does. It is kind of a fun thing to say, all things considered. It's like, don't touch another man's dice. You know, it's like you feel you you feel like there that that should just be a rule because that's a merit that you would put into it. But you know, I guess that just I guess it just depends on the level of how much time you and your dice have had together. You know, it's like I have dice that I let other anyone use. Like there are dice that I will let anybody use, and then there's a set of dice that are mine and mine alone. You know, and I personally feel like I attach dice to a campaign as well too. Like these are dice that I use for this game, and there are dice that I use for this game. Right. And you know, there's public dice, but then there's also private dice. So. <laughs> I thought I was the only one. No, oh, no. I've, I've got my I've got my uh, crown roll bag full of my pound of dice I got from, I ordered online for Chessex pound of dice. And then I've got my little tiny bag that's just my dice. It's the specific sets that I went and picked out. Right. And again, it's just it's I think it's just people's own personal ritual. You know, it's like uh, it's the Cowboys ruled, you know, don't don't you know, don't mess with another man's hat. You know, that's like people just have that same principle. If they've spent a lot of time with that stuff, then they're going to feel an attachment to it and they're going to feel violated otherwise. It's, you know, it's, but again, if you don't have an attachment to your dice because they're just generic dice, no one's going to feel that way. So I would say it's an unspoken rule because no one knows what your intimacy level is with your dice. And the weird thing is I've seen it happen when I I would show up to a game. I'm the only one who ever brought dice to this game. That's why I have a pound of chess dice. And they would pick out their dice that are my dice and then get (laughs) mad when someone else tried to roll their dice. (laughs) When they're my dice. As gamers, we have a lot of superstitions about dice. We really do. Uh, I I can't tell you the the amount of times I've heard the gambler's fallacy, right? Mm -hmm. I'm due for a good roll. Right. You know? Yeah. I'm getting all my bad rolls out of the way. Already ro- this this twenty's already had other ones rolled out of it. Yeah, you 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 hear that constantly, right? So um, are you guys of the mentality where you you store you, your dice rest with the highest number up so that it settles down so it wants to stay in that position, or the other way around where it has the lowest number up because that uses up the the ones. Oh, That's so I, interesting. 
Wow, that's that's very. Yeah, but I but I do know, but I do know this because I'm the guy who puts the twenty up always. Yeah, me you too. Know? Same here. I'm I'm always one because it's a better presentation factor to it, but also because just if you're going to be if you're going to fiddle, like do something that puts good good energy into your dice. You know. Speaking of uh, speaking of presentation, right? You have. To, there's an unwritten rule that your dice should be legible. They should be the right size and the right color that somebody can see and figure out what the hell that is that you actually rolled, right? Right. Instead of the marbled, un, you know, undyed letters, you know? Well, there was, there was this guy. I played uh, Warhammer with him for the first – he was actually one of the first people who taught me how to play Warhammer, okay? And he rolled these insanely tiny yellow D6s to the point where – he could. I mean, I have no idea what he actually rolled, <laughs> but he, I just go by what he told me. The Sorcerer on <laughs> my Pathfinder game got all the. I had all those itty bitty teeny tiny dice that came from the uh, the Shadowrun clicky game where they had like the five inch figures, but it came with these itty bitty teeny teeny tiny dice, and that's what that guy rolled for every single sorcery spell. So he's run, rolling like eight d six, and it takes up one square inch when he rolls them all. <laughs> And he's on the other side of the table from me. It's like, um, yeah, that's a 47. I'm like, are there 47 numbers on those dice? <laughs> so would you call that clicky run? Is that what you would call it? Shadow clicks. Shadow clicks. Okay. Mm. So yeah, that's, that's a, that's a kind of an unwritten rule is that your dice need to be, uh, the right size and legible. Cause I've got, I've got a really, really cool looking, it was a Cthulhu D20 and it's got all these like runes and everything all over it. But, I can't even read the damn numbers when they're in front of me. I don't know how anyone's ever let me play with this die. Well, now I think this is also this is also per group, right? Because if I trust someone like like for example, Corinne Seabolt, who I play a lot of games with, she has these dice that I can't read any of them on there. But I trust Corinne. I absolutely trust Corinne, and she never she never spends time looking at her dice, going, "I don't know what that is." She knows. Right. So, so as long as comes, I trust her, I mean, she, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So I'm just saying it comes back down to your trust factor again. It comes down yeah. to like whether this is a, an intimate group or, you know, a person who you're just playing with for the first time. So I guess this is, I guess we can call this kind of a, like a metaphysical gray area of unspoken rules because it just depends on, uh, you know, it's like the cheater's gray area as far as dice go. Well, I don't um, trust Ivan at all, so you would have to. Nope. You would have I to want those giant size dice in front of you. You need to roll foam, those big foam dice. <laughs> we had we. You, I want you, independent verification. You laugh, <laughs> you laugh, but in one of my games, we had to do. We had to. We had one of those like ones that's almost the size. Those d20s are almost the size of a tennis ball, and uh, we made this guy roll them because what he would do is he would roll the die, immediately pick it up, and run his finger down the character sheet before anyone could see it and say, "Okay, I rolled a eighteen to hit." You're second level, and you've been roll. You haven't rolled anything lower than a fifteen. Come on, that's hilarious. I mean, I was just imagining this world in which Ross would tell me to that at the table, so I just throw the dice at him every single time. He has to roll. <laughs> It'd be a rage flip, right? The table. A, I just, I just want him to bounce off your face and then roll a twenty and be like, "I rolled a twenty. <laughs> you know. But that's a, that's insane. You've had some real characters in your games over the years. Yeah, you know? it's uh 
combination of small town and the only place to play was the game store. So I played with a vast majority of people. And it sounds like I played with a lot. I played with a lot of characters, but we're also like young kids playing in the comic store. And there were as many really, really good players as there were these guys. It just gives me good stories to tell. That's true. You only hear about the good stories. That's for sure. So we can can probably talk about dice for a whole episode. And we actually have a lot more notes here, but I kind of wanted to move on because we have a lot to cover before the end of the episode. for it so you know we'll, we'll get back to dice maybe later if we have something really special we want to say but i think let's go on to uh communication okay mm-hmm. and this has a lot to do with things we've talked about here on the show before like the social contract and uh, getting everybody on the same page before the game begins but i think an unwritten rule is, is about crosstalk right off-topic chats hey did you see that movie last night Fury Road. It's pretty awesome. You should totally okay, go see so, it. Okay, so and then the <laughs> dragon is doing – and then the dragon is going right. to breathe. <laughs> hey, wait, wait a minute. How, how do I do breathing again? You know? So, yeah. It's true. It's The crosstalk is always – it's like it's, it's a formidable enemy in every single game because it usually means either A, they aren't – you aren't captivating. As a GM, whenever I hear the crosstalk, I usually either A, I'm not engaging them enough – or B, they're not engaged with me enough because they don't want to play, you know? So, and that's always frustrating and that's always difficult. Um, But I, yeah. It can mean that, but I think like it depends. For example, my birthright group, we only get together once a month. So socializing, you know, it's going to happen. I mean, I, I like in an intimate group that I know well, I like to generally try not to babysit very much, right? If people are crosstalk, you know, I crosstalk and then we'll just, you know, take a five minute break or whatever and then we'll get back to the game because hanging out with my friends is like the most important part, having a good time, right? Because that's what you're there to do anyway. I, I don't – spend time I don't, with your friends. Yeah, I don't need to be the the playground cop, right, right. With, with my friends. Now, if I'm at a convention game and people paid money to play that game, right, right and I have a lot to do in a short amount of time, that's a different story. You know, right. I, I definitely take a lot more control over crosstalk and under those circumstances and say, okay, guys, let, you know, let's focus. Hey, are you, pay attention. Yeah. Right? Uh, right. So Sean got me with that one at uh, it, ChupacabraCon. Right. So it's contextual, I think. It's true. And, and I think, you, again, you set the parameters perfect. It's about – it's set kind of around the expectations of the game, which as an unwritten rule that it's kind of everyone should talk about you know, the game before it ever begins. Like there's kind of always a prep period, whether it's character creation or, or it's like the, the prologue right before the story begins that everyone's on the same page about what is important and what isn't important in the, in the match. Cause for me, it's like, as a GM, it's like, I want to know that all of my players are ready for a hack and slash, you know, brawler if they're if we're going to be doing something like say werewolf versus if they're ready for like a stealthy diplomatic mission playing werewolf you know because there's two different ways to play but if someone wants to bash and brawl and one guy wants to sneak then you're going to just be someone's not going to have a good time right you know that's true and and that has a lot to do with making sure everybody's on the same page from the get-go and we've talked about that i think several times it's a really important thing it's good it's worth mentioning again certainly yeah. Now, along the lines of crosstalk, though, if I may. Yes. And, and you'll see what I did there in just a second. Uh, it's about respecting other people's time, too. It's about paying attention. So if the GM. Sorry, talking, what was that, Ross? 
if the GM <laughs> is talking, right, you should probably be listening. If someone else at the table is role playing, you should be paying attention to that. Yep. And so this is what I'm saying, right? Like I, I actually kind of stepped on Ivan right then and I should have been listening to him. <laughs> but I <laughs> also mildly interrupted you, you know, but, by getting into it. So so this is the thing, right? It's like you got to you got to respect other people's time. I think that's an unwritten rule. And that includes being ready to take your turn. Yeah, I think that's a valid I mean, more than anything, it's like that's the thing that always stops up games the most. And most people are there because they want to experience the most amount of time in the in in the time that they have with you. So being ready to go is is vital, you know. Right. Has this ever run have you ever run into this in outbreak? Um yeah, it's always, especially with new games, it's like there are certain teams that are so communicative, like, and they're just all on board because also Outbreak Undead, everyone does their initiative at the same time or everyone does their intent at the same time. So it kind of promotes uh, that, that type of teamwork and, and conversation in the early stages of the round, you know. But then after that's all done, then they have to roll it out and see what happens. So <clears throat> because the mechanics of the game encourage a lot of teamwork, um, I don't see that as badly as I say initiative-based games, you know, where oh, people are waiting for their round in the cycle. Yeah, I see that happening a lot, and it's a combination with the crosstalk. Usually it pops up. It's not necessarily because the game is boring or the player's not engaged. It's, okay, I just took my turn. He took his turn. Uh, hey, do you want? did you see that thing? Yeah, I saw that thing. The thing was cool. So, oh, crap, it's my turn again. Um, What, what happened? Yeah, and it's, it's because true. they were bored because they were waiting for their turn. So they were chatting. Right. And, and I they, guess yeah. – go ahead. And then they come back and they weren't paying attention. So, oh, the board's completely changed from last time. What happened? So you moved there and I did it's, – it's one of the things that bogs down combat, especially in really crunchy combat-heavy games. And, and anything that's got a mini-mat I feel like has to has to have this as a challenge as well too because people just assume – that visually all of the information is laid out for them and they don't have to hear about the details of what happened in the previous round, you know? Uh, in, in, in storyteller games, you don't have that visual reference to, like, keep you in track. So you kind of have to listen so that you know what you're doing and you, and you know what you're going to do because you have to react off of other people. So, You know, when it comes to playmats, there's a very important unwritten rule I think I want to point out here. Uh, Permanent markers do not come within 50 feet of the play map. <laughs> right, cardinal, cardinal sin. Caveat to that. Caveat to that. If it's one of the vinyl mats, dry erase markers get the same thing as a dry erase marker will stain the vinyl play mats just as easy as a Sharpie. You right. have to, you have to use wet erase markers on those things. Right. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. I've never actually used a vinyl mat with dry erase. So that's that I could have made that mistake had I had not known about that. We we found that out the hard way when some guy was counting off rounds by uh, in his corner of the mat, he was crossing off squares with a red marker that was just sitting there. And then we went to wipe off the mat and it's like, "Huh. Scrub subscrub. Huh. Scrub 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 scrub. Fuck." Ugh, damn, yeah. that sucks. And vinyl, I mean, vinyl's it's not inexpensive. Uh, or it's, it's not expensive, but it's not inexpensive either. Well, it's for all the hipster gamers. It's just so much better with vinyl. (laughs) God damn it. It's just a, I just get a better quality game when I play with it on vinyl. It's just, I just don't, 
really know how to explain it. It doesn't – it's not supposed to make sense though. It just is. I was doing it before it was cool. I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, what, else, what else do you have um, kind of on there besides the play mats and the social? Because I mean I, I think the social for me is a big one. You know, well, here's, here's one that I think we, we should cover. Um, and it's, a, it's actually a really, really big deal. And I, we don't talk about it nearly enough. What happens in the game stays in the game. It's, it's not personal, mm. right? If I, if I, if I am the DM and you are playing in my D and D game and I kill Ivan's dragonborn character, it's not because I do it because I hate Ivan, right? I'm not doing it because I just have a like this horrible rivalry with him that I cannot possibly ever get over. Oh my god, I've said too much. <laughs> it's like no, okay, no, but okay. for real, for real, for real. Don't, don't take it personal, right? I think that's a that's an important thing to say. Right. It's it's and it and it is unspoken because it's still there will be people and especially like we we try to mention a little bit. It's like, hey, your character will likely die. And if you're playing yourself, that could leave you feeling a little butt hurt, you know? But it's it's just a game, you know. But we don't say that like what happens in the game stays in the game. Um, and I worry that this, this, this is a rule that's not really followed that much. And, and that's how a lot of like drama amongst groups start, you know? Mm. And it's sad to see because that's what sadly, if there's anything that brings games apart more than competing schedules, it's the fact that one person isn't having a good time because of something that happened in the game that they didn't agree with. Right, you know, I've seen it happen the other way around just as much, especially playing with couples. Oh, uh, can kill me on your turn. Well, maybe if maybe if Carthax wasn't busy doing the dishes like you were supposed to, he'd have time to heal you. <laughs> Damn, yeah, I've never run into that, but that sounds like uh, anyone who wants to bring out their marriage issues in a D and D game is going to is it's going to have more problems than just you know making making a game happen in a smooth right. way. You and know? sometimes this this can be really surprising stuff like uh, people have different triggers right right and oddly enough one of my personal triggers and i've learned this just from you know many many years of playing is stealing from the party oh uh i don't know if you saw how much i was grinding my teeth at comic palooza during oh, that I game did. i that, did yeah i was just we played a game of comic palooza with a guy and the first thing he does is he steal from the party and i'm like oh, it's a con game it doesn't even matter it's still pissing me off <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm just saying in the back of my head it's it's imaginary treasure that doesn't even carry over to the next game let it go let it go let the guy have his fun let him have his fun but no it was just i was angry yeah yeah but i didn't take it personal i didn't go out and you know key his car <laughs> Right. I didn't I didn't say anything to the DM. I was just like, this is my personal thing. I'm going to I'm going to you know mm-hmm. let it go. Uh, but at the same time, like it wouldn't have been right for me to then game if we were gaming with this guy a lot. Right. And we went to a different game like we played Shadowrun after we played D&D. It wouldn't be right for me to be like, I'm going to name my character the anti Brian. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because then you're just then you're just evolving back to middle school tactics. Oh, gosh. Well, when you're talking about nerds, we're never really that far away from middle school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> true, true, but you know, especially in the spirit of keeping things civil and fun, it's uh it yeah. can definitely be something that you everyone needs to be aware of. And if people and there are just some people who just love being antagonists and love being the bad guy, and sometimes you just have to embrace that <laughs> and you just get to enjoy when they get their just desserts in the game because most of the time the GM's noticing, 
you know? Right. And he, he, he's seeing these things happen if he's good, you know? And it will be, at least as far as I'm concerned, it would be rewarded appropriately based on the fate of the game, you know? Right. But it's, uh, I can definitely see that being an unspoken rule about, like, you know, mind your triggers, you know, don't take it personal, know what pisses you off, and if you know yourself, and just try to do your best to be an active part of the active part of the solution, not not add to the problem. So. Can we call you the RPG guru? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nerdspiration hashtag nerdspiration. There you go. <laughs> it's funny because there's a there may be a, a a segment on Geek and Sundry that eventually may be called nerdspiration. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. So okay, well that's the social stuff. You know, I think we covered most of the social stuff. Yeah, Daryl, you got anything else you want to throw in there? Oh, uh, one one thing social. This is more social contract sort of thing when you're showing up to a game know what you're expected to show up with if if the gm says hey i'm gonna have uh I'm, don't worry about bringing your dice i get the dice or i'll hold all your character sheets you don't have to worry about them then cool don't bring your dice otherwise assume you're gonna need to bring dice you're gonna need to bring your own mini you're gonna need to bring your own damn rule book and quit borrowing mine <laughs> I, I think the basics let's put it this way the basics unless otherwise stated this is the unwritten rule you should always bring your miniature if you own one, the rule book for the game, your character sheet and something to write with, and dice. Yep. Sounds about right. That's the that is the basics. There could will always be additional things on board. Same for the GM. He should always have his notes. He should always have his rule book or several copies of the rule book. And he should have all the materials he needs to run the session. You know, oh. if it, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. No, I said if the GM's going to extend the cur- if the player's going to extend the courtesy to bring everything they need, then the GM needs to extend the same courtesy to bring everything that he needs. I, so. I did forget one last thing for the uh, the uh, inter- the sort of interpersonal uh, behavioral you know uh, side, and that is don't be disruptive. And what that means is specifically mm-hmm. if you're going to get your phone out right in between combat rounds, right? Don't be watching YouTube at full volume. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> you would think. Oh, hold on, think guys. I, hold on, guys. I got to take this call. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey. Yeah, what's going oh, now's on? Now's a perfect time to call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, 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 no. You're not interrupting anything. No, it's not my turn. Or, yet. Trying, or trying to, okay. or trying to like show people what's uh, like trying to pull that video up and go, like, oh, guys, have you seen this yet? It's freaking hilarious. Like, oh, no, no, no. Wait, hold on. Let me let me get it up for you real quick. Let's watch it. It's like, guys, we're in the middle of the game. Like. <laughs> Can we, I didn't, do this? Can we do this after the game? <laughs> you know, Gangnam's Tale came out like a couple of years ago. We don't need to watch it right now. So, but the cat tries to jump over the ledge and misses and falls. And misses. Oh, here's no, another. No, this one's low pan style. It's way better. Low pan style. <laughs> there you it's go. a real thing. Yeah, I so know. It is. Let me get it on my phone. Here. <laughs> Damn it! We're having a podcast right now. <laughs> Um, but I just thought of another random thing too. This is a, on a side note, but it's this is this is getting a little deeper down the rabbit hole. But if you're if you if you're gonna make if you're gonna make smelly stinky things, like don't do it at the table, like, <laughs> you know, just at so least you're, you're, you're talking about like bodily functions, not Thai food. Yes, okay. you know, <laughs> um, if you're gonna bring Thai food, share the Thai food. 
you know? And then when you're ready to make stinky, smelly things, go into the other room, let it out, and come back. Yeah, share the Thai food, just don't share the results. Don't share the results. Yeah, I'm actually in the notes at a big, huge section just on food and drink, which basically boils down to uh, share, but ask first before you take. And don't take the last damn soda or beer in the fridge. Yeah, but then there's always just one beer in the fridge. Someone's got to take it, Ross, at some point. But that's the host's privilege. Yeah. Oh, it's the host's privilege. That is the host's privilege. Everyone leaves, you get the last one. Yep, that's valid. Valid. (laughs) But I have played so many games that the guy's like, I'm hungry, I'm going to order a pizza. He steps outside and orders a pizza and comes back in. I'm like, uh, and I'm sitting there with a tin in my hand. I'm like, pizza? Okay, let me put this back in my pocket because you didn't ask if I wanted to chip in any. That's a good point. That's a valid situation. And most of the friends that I have were actually pretty good about that. So people actually do stealth orders and they, you know, someone will just, or pizza will just randomly show up and then one of our guys will come up and be like, all right. And then they'll bring in like five pizzas, you know? So, um, but then in that circumstance, not if, five pizzas for themselves. No, okay. no, for the group. <laughs> okay. Um, and because we've also played enough together that we all know each other's dietary restrictions. You're not and what gaming with like. Jabba the Hutt or anything. Right? <laughs> <laughs> pizza. Yeah, <laughs> we're talking about like home games, not where uh, suddenly vegan chicken jalapeno pizza shows up. Oh, my God. I'm so over <laughs> vegan chicken jalapeno. <laughs> uh, Sorry, that's an inside joke for the t- friends of the Geek and Sundry Twitch stream. Uh, uh, they have a place where you can order – the chat can order food for streamers. And apparently the only thing on the menu is vegan chicken jalapeno pizza. Okay. Let's get back to – let's, let's <laughs> stop the crosstalk and let's get back to the no, – for real. Um, Ivan. Yes. You've been, you've been a fantastic guest about this, I want to say. I really appreciate you taking the time oh, to do this. Thank you. Of course. Now, do, do you have anything you want to add that we haven't covered about um, I feel like I've been really good about interjecting myself into the conversation when I have something important to say, um, in particular when it comes to about the unspoken rules. Um, as far as – I'd have to really sit and think about it more because we've mostly covered it. A lot of it is based on like – you know, for me, it's about travel and it's about time um, because there's usually – we usually have so little time and it takes right. so much to get from point A to point B here in LA that like sitting down and getting through a certain amount of the scenario through – you know, in the time that we have is important to me and making sure that, you know, that – it's worth like it's worth the time, effort, and energy to go and spend an hour and a half in traffic and get over to you in time with all my stuff. I want to um, ask you two quick questions then. Yeah. Number one, why is it important to know these unwritten rules? And two, how, if you were a new gamer, how do you pick up on these? Ah man, that's a good point. So so first question again. Why is it important to know them? So why is it important to know them? Because they are kind of – they are experience incarnate is what they are because these unwritten rules come from a place of experience and they would not be rules un- unspoken or otherwise if there was not someone who had learned said such rule at some point. You know, mm-hmm. so I believe unwritten rules are experience incarnate and by knowing them, you are you are respecting the – uh, the vast amount of experiences that may have led to the creation of these rules. So you're being sort of fully absorbed into the tribe by knowing them. Yeah. And, you know, and more importantly, you have a less likely chance of offending someone who may or may not have already gone through that situation or at least making yourself more uh, acceptable 
Um, acceptable is a terrible word. I'm uh, never going to forgive you for the Thai food. Right, exactly. And, and, <laughs> and, and a streamlined experience with friends because if I'm going to go and play with Ross and if I want to play with Ross again, I should really know what some of these unwritten rules are so that Ross isn't like, um, you know, I really – I really didn't enjoy playing with Ivan. I'd prefer not to do that again. You know? Why, why are we beating each other up so bad? I, because episode? it's so easy. Because <laughs> it's so Oh, my easy. God. Because um, I'm not the target because you guys know I have final control of the edit. <laughs> I didn't really think about that. But, um, All right. So how do I learn this if I'm a new player? And that's I'm, the hard I'm, part. Yeah. Because that's just experience. Like unless it, they're unspoken. But how do you know? How do you know these things? Some of them are common sense and etiquette, of course, but you know, you don't really know these things unless someone tells you. Hmm. Or you hear about it on a podcast. Or you hear about it on a podcast. So I, think the, I think what we're going to here is that if you're a new player, it's totally okay to ask questions, ask even questions. about seemingly obvious things, even about things that everyone seems to already know. It's okay yeah. to. Attention, attention to detail is important and feeling and, and being cautious, uh, about making assumptions is, is a good, it's a good tactic, I would say. And, and communication should always be our first resort when it comes to, you know, bringing in a new player or if there's any issues or if there's any concerns. And I would say if there's a new player coming in, I would hope that it's the person who is, uh, who is bringing that person into the group to kind of bestow upon them some of these unspoken rules, you know, like if I'm going to bring a new player to the table, I'm going to try my best to let them know what's, what they can expect and, and what they should do and give them, give them, uh, you know, tips of success and about how to have a good time. Yeah. Because the, the more that we are able to clearly communicate our expectations, the more likely it is that, these unwritten rules are not going to be broken. Yeah. It's just like any good relationship, dude. That's how it is. <laughs> you know? So Daryl, what have we left out? Um, there's just one more I want to bring up on dice. And this one is just, it's complete anecdotal evidence. I've got no studies to back it up. I've got no, you talk about the, some people think dice are lucky and some guy actually went and bought like one set of dice from every single company and rolled them 10,000 times and charted them all to determine that yes, some dice are luckier than others because of this, that, or the other. But there's one thing that I have just from pure anecdotal evidence. The more money you spend on a set of dice, the worse that set of dice is going to roll. <laughs> I've seen those guys who buy those uh, sterling silver or brush steel or jade uh, sets of dice. I have never seen one of those D20s roll higher than a 14 in my life. That being said, the the dice that are gifted to you by friends and people you care about always seem to roll the best. Well, here's a funny story for you guys. I was playing Champions back in the day. Champions uses an awful lot of D6. And I was playing it with my good friend. Uh, I won't say his name because this is kind of a story that puts him in a bad light. Uh, I won't say his name, but he, he's a good friend of mine. And he is the type of person that gets gifts given to him in the form of dice, right? He, his collection of dice is mostly from, you know, the well-meaning but clueless family member who's like, oh, you play those games with dice, do you? Well, here's some dice. <laughs> and he showed up at the table and we were playing champions. And all of a sudden, I looked across the table and I said uh, – Dude, those dice have sixes on two sides. Oh. And the entire table just went super quiet. 
right? <laughs> we had that moment of wait. <laughs> and I realized it's like, oh, I should have probably taken him aside to say that. Uh, <laughs> Whoops. It turns, turns out, turns out he had no knowledge of this, but apparently one of the sets that had been given to him as a gift was the set uh, that is the cheating sixes on two sides set of dice. And, you know, we all we, we, we laughed about it. We smoothed it over. We watched him pick every single one of them out of his collection and <laughs> throw them away. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, there, there can be times is what I'm saying is where if you see this kind of thing happen, it, it doesn't always mean uh, malicious intent. Right? Always assume incompetence over. Maliciousness. That's the thing to take away from this. I Sorry, was that, that's, I, was, I was modifying a statement about the government on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Always assume incompetence over malice. That's the thing. I think it's an important thing to take away from this podcast, though. It's like, yes, these are all these unspoken rules. Yes, there are people who do this, you know, who do this all the time. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's annoying and all this. But, you know, you don't call out your friends if they're making bad mistakes. You know, always assume incompetence over malice. And, you know, feel free to give people extra chances, especially if you have an opportunity to educate them further about what's going to make it a more pleasant gaming experience. That is a really great comment. I, I, I'm going to count that as your final thoughts unless you have anything else. <laughs> no, that's good by me. I'm going to leave on a good note. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's pretty good. That's solid. Daryl, what are your final thoughts on Unwritten Rules of Gaming? Well, a good deal of what we've been talking about is basically etiquette. And I remember there was a discussion. Uh, it was a completely unrelated to gaming discussion already about etiquette and what rules of etiquette do you not do people not know? And it goes off on all this stuff. And someone finally asked, why do we have all these stupid rules? And then someone said, it's because we have these rules so that people who don't understand them are still comfortable in society. When you're together in tight, confined spaces, or when you're sitting around a table gaming together, you have your rules that you follow for etiquette so that you are not imposing yourself on others. And the idea behind etiquette is that everyone follows it so that you're not imposing yourself on anyone else. When everyone follows those same rules, then things run a lot more smoothly. And if someone doesn't happen to follow those rules, it's usually not that big of a deal because everyone else is trying to stay out of everyone else's way, per se. And that person's not going to be as disruptive as they would be if everyone was doing the same thing. I, I kind of butchered what the a beautiful point the guy on Reddit made, I think, but so the Reddit, so Reddit's really like what you're saying. Like final thought is Reddit. Final thought is yeah, I stole a quote from someone from Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> no, my final okay. thoughts my final thoughts kind of go back to those two questions I asked Ivan. Like, you know, why is it important that we know these and how does a, a new player learn it? And I think he gave great answers. And that's really my final thoughts are it is important to know these things. It's important to pass them on. It's important for a new player to learn these things. It's important for veterans to help the new player understand them. So that's pretty much all I have to say about that. But before we wrap up the show, I want to talk to Ivan about the new cool thing that Ivan is working on or thing or things because it's multiple things. There's always things. There's always so many things. <laughs> so right now you've got a, a Kickstarter. Is that right? I've got a Kickstarter for Outbreak, a second edition, which is rolling right now. 
on top of all of my other crowdfunding campaigns that I do for work work. But this one's near and dear to my heart because it's games and it's zombies. So, yes. The answer to your – my very long answer to your very short question is yes. So Now, this is, this is a Kickstarter for what exactly? It is the Outbreak Undead 2nd Edition Starter Kit. And what it is, it's basically a beautiful red box edition of the first peak of our core mechanics for 2nd Edition, which is going to be released in 2016. It comes with a, a unique set of reference cards, custom-faced six-sided dice, a rip-away pad of character sheets, and a 160-page pocketbook that essentially is the basics of Outbreak Undead. So it's kind of a nice, fun, easy way to get into the game um, and start learning about the system, especially for people who are rabid fans of first edition and want to know kind of what we're doing. Um, before uh, rabid we, fans. Rabid fans. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny because it's viral. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the but the, uh, while they continue to while we continue to develop the more in depth and um, kind of streamlined version of the core rulebook, so uh, the, the, this is second edition has all the basic rules inside of it. The core book will really just have expanded rules and more examples, and it will be much more. It, it will be um, more finely designed, you could yeah. say. So this is still the game where you play yourself. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it's not you can play template characters, too. But our big claim to fame is that the fact that you can go on our website, take a 40 question personality test, and it will pop out your core stats if you're to play yourself as a character. And not only just that, but we have mechanics that help break down practical experience into skills that you can use in the game. So, um, cause obviously there's, we're not the only zombie avatar system out there now. Um, but the, the thing that I think that really delineates us apart is, is that we have a really unbiased system of which to test your personality right. without having to get into like a voting mechanic. In so which, with, yeah, sorry, with a starting kit, right? What it's, it's easier than ever to right. get all my friends killed in a zombie apocalypse. It's so easy. <laughs> cause all you have to do is pick up the box rip out some character sheets, encourage everyone to go take the test online. And then you pretty much all, it's all you need to do. Like we also have character cards in there that you can throw down. So right. like you, we have a character card that has basic stats and then you can take some of these reference cards to add certain, what we call them uh, paradigms and abilities to be like, okay, well I'm playing Kachita, you know, and Kachita has basic first aid. She's a marksman tier two and um you know she's a maverick that's her paradigm okay and so i now i've got her basic skills her basic stats her basic skills and i can fill out the character sheet accordingly to both of those things super easy and you can just start playing you know and outbreak undead is is a versatile enough system that if you as if the gm knows how to play they can run the system pretty much on the fly right. because all they need to do is pop up a, uh, a google maps start them off into a location and start making encounter rolls and then just reacting off of their players and as they accumulate a beautiful currency called risk yeah <laughs> which is done when players make actions in the game that could be risky um and that can be literally just walking out of your stronghold with a big party you know nice. uh the gms can then spend that risk to either upgrade monsters inside of the encounters or throw obstacles and hazards in front of them along their way you risky know safety risky, risky safety which one and 
Right. Right. <laughs> and then players at the same time are accruing survival points, which is just a, a way to kind of showcase that they're that they're farther along, that they're that they have more and more materials, gear and uh, resources to kind of survive, you know. Right. And that was kind of the thing that we learned in first edition that was hard to quantify. Like, when do you end the game? Like, if you're playing the apocalypse, like when when does it end? You know, and, it, and that question could be never. But we still figured it'd be nice to have a system in which, say, you accumulated enough survival points based on all the missions and all of the all of the stuff that you've accomplished that you can unlock an endgame scenario. Like maybe it's one big monster or maybe the military comes or maybe this big event happens. Who knows? But the GM knows to unlock it at a certain stage once players have essentially accumulated enough uh, resources that they feel like that they are prepared enough to right. go into it. So Sim- I, I get the box. It's very simple to start. I just have my, my players all go online and make themselves. Yep. And then we, you know, step three is we test our zombie survival plan. Yep. Test your zombie survival plan because logically all plans fail until they've been tested. <laughs> I got to say the cover on this thing is just beautiful. It's awesome. It shows, it shows a woman and she's like an awesome new Lara Croft type woman, right? She's yep. got a knife and a gun and her gun's empty and she's clutching a wrist where she's clumsily bandaged a human bite. And I'm like, that is beautiful. It tells you everything you need to know <laughs> right, there. <laughs> right, right there. there. And it's just gorgeous. I am, I am in, kind of in love with that cover, dude. That is amazing. We prefer like photography over art, especially in Outbreak Undead. And Wait, are you saying photography is not art? Yes, <laughs> like like graphic art. You know? <laughs> um, do but do do but do do. Uh, <laughs> and so we uh, are are th- and and especially in this kind of in this world um, of of survival horror it's like you can do you can do sketchy stuff until your your face falls apart but we think it's really fun to either just do simple sketch art that like anybody in the field could do all of first edition but now we really wanted to supplement it with like photography of scenarios and survivors and very um stuff that you kind of expect in a survival handbook Instead of it being like a very cut and dry like manual, you know, or, or more like a traditional role playing game in which it has a lot of high high concept level art inside of it, you know. And you're so. closing in on a stretch goal right now. Closing in on stretch goals is the GM screen. That's the right. The digital version. So um, at 15K, we will uh, basically update our GM screen into a digital version, and you can get that with everything on DTRPG. We'll send it to you. You can print it out and put it in those wonderful, the the trifold GM screens that we offer on our webpage. And I think Savage Worlds has them too. It's the yeah. same kind of one. You yeah, know? we just, just did one for Cursed actually. So Yeah, they're great. They're awesome. And in my opinion, there's no better thing to have. So we'll have a bunch of cool digital – um, inserts that you can put inside yes. of it with an, with a Kickstarter exclusive front art. That's you know? awesome. Yeah, you know, I just want to remind you if you need anybody to come write things for you about. To I wanted I want to I mean like you you Scott Woodart and um, Kevin uh, Kevin Baker are like on my list of like building the development team out when we start <laughs> doing second edition. I'm serious. Okay. There's so much opportunity to, and all we really need to do is just we we need to have because after this is launched, like depending on the success of of how many units sell during distribution, we want to just start supporting it immediately. And the big thing, 
that we're doing that's going to kind of make or break this this initiative is we have a organized play initiative called Pandemic Play. Ooh. All right? And so we're doing our organized play initiative that involves one giant game of Outbreak Undead. All right? So imagine you, like, are starting your survival group up in Seattle. All right. And you are playing with your group of friends and your group of friends literally is a group of survivors in Seattle. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe there are three other groups that are also part of pandemic play that are in the same group. Well, now you're all playing the same together, same game together. And maybe you're playing with groups that are out in Indianapolis, Indiana, and you're playing um, all one giant game of Outbreak Undead in which every month we give you updated stats about how the current outbreak is doing, what what areas are forming resistances and how many zombies that they've killed and special events that may occur either in districts, territories, or statewide areas, you know? Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, we'll have specialized cards that are only used for, for, for pandemic play. And we're going to give these to our, to our, obviously to our volunteers who will be running these games so that they can only be used in pandemic play. Like if you got a nine millimeter pistol while playing in pandemic play, you know, you now have something that can theoretically be used if you get to another game somewhere else, you know, and it's a very interesting character gets it. Your character gets it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sorry. Damn. I was hoping I, I was going to get a free 1911 and <laughs> right. And, I don't and want to how, show up at somebody else's game and be like, all right, bud, let me show right, you what guys. I got here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. See this one. This one is mine. Nice. Um, so it's fun. I call her Vera. It's fun because, you know, it also <laughs> means that any groups that are in your region, you can you can either do trade with them or maybe you can have like a rivalry between each other. You can pit resources together or apart. It's like it's it's like playing out under the apocalypse in one giant game. You know, and it's fine because even if there's pockets of resistance all over the state, they still have an opportunity to interact with each other. Or at least they know that if it's simultaneous play, they know that other people are doing stuff at the same time they are. Well, I'll just say two words really quick. Okay. Z-Rex. Z-Rex. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm done. Daryl, do you, you, you have anything to say about this cool Kickstarter? Uh, I already talked about it on my Nicole News column that I just sent off to the editor. It Outbreak Undead. This is literally what I said. There is so many zombie games out there right now. It takes something very special for me to take notice, and I more than take notice. I wholeheartedly recommend this game. If you can only have one zombie role-playing game, this is the one you want. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Daryl. I um and we know that we're definitely and we weren't the first players in the market as well, too. We just wanted to do something that was gonna focus on survival, you mm -hmm. know? And that's kind of our thing, is is we love survival horror, you know. I'm, I'm still waiting for that crossover with bunnies and burrows. Bunnies and burrows? Yeah. I know Zombie Rabbits. Look at the teeth, Zombie. man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of a Monty Python joke right now and I can't. <laughs> well, I just made Damn it. it. What, behind the rabbit? Behind the rabbit. Um, and actually, it's funny because we've, uh, we've, we actually accumulate a hilarious material, but we, we never put it in the game. We always save it for like April Fools, in which we put together like some ridiculous scenario. Like, I think the last one we did was WWW2, which is the World Werewolf War 2. 
which was uh, our unique out- outbreak for April Fools. Wow. So you know, the World Werewolf War, which takes place on the moon. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, but are you a bad enough dude to rescue the president? But are you? Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. Werewolf. Um, so that's yeah, cool. And feel free to like, I mean, we've only got, I, I don't know when this is going up, but currently on the day of this is recording, um, we've got about eight days left. So uh, we did obviously reach our goal, but we're very close to our first stretch goal. And, um, you know, if you get, if we do for some reason get as far as our biggest stretch goal at 23, we are going to have unique character cards that are only available at the Kickstarter unlocked. And um, it should be a lot of fun. I mean, we're, the good news is, is that you will see this at Gen Con 20. 2015 we are going to have copies there and we are going to start our our pandemic play our organized play there and uh we're basically going to start setting up groups all across the united states to start testing their zombie survival plan and now i'm picturing a zombie outbreak at gen con are you having any of your um your character models there your the people who are the iconic characters Oh, the iconic characters. Um, uh, no, that would be nice to do. I actually was really curious if people would really want to see like models um, from from the books. You know, there is one gentleman, the gentleman who has the crowbar, who will likely be there, but he does stuff with saving throw as well too. So he'll oh, be cool. there primarily because of that. But Leo Camacho is actually a, a YouTuber who does a lot of Disney stuff, and he's the gentleman ah. with the shotgun. And okay. the young and the young lady with the bow actually is a CG. GI artist over a blizzard. So, oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah, well, you, know. you never know. I just thought I'd ask. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And in years to come, if people love it, then I, I will personally fly them out myself and, we'll, and they can cosplay as their characters in the books. So. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, well, Jan, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, on behalf of Daryl and myself, we want to make sure we're, we extend our gratitude to Ivan Van Norman for joining us on this episode to talk about unwritten rules of gaming because I think this was a great episode that covered a lot of it. Uh, and I have to tell you, gentlemen, I love, love being on the show <laughs> with you. I always have a good time. You, you're so easy to talk to and you, you, both of you are so extremely well-defined in your fields of gaming. <laughs> um, well-defined. I like that. Well, well-defined and it, it's – We're I, not blurry at all. <laughs> your lines are clean and they're very well inked so uh, and any anytime you want a ranting raving madman lunatic on your show just call me up you oh, know you, well, well we got you on speed dial you're on the list of our guests <laughs> yep that kind of thing. awesome so well uh thank you again and i have to tell you i've learned something on this podcast today too there's a lot of unwritten rules that i didn't even know about so oh. you know we're, it's like a very special episode of Blossom. Blossom. <laughs> well said. Well said. All right, so. Daryl, do you got anything or we're going to close it out? Uh, that's about all I've got. Thank you very much for being on, Ivan. Woo! All right. All take right. care, gentlemen. Well, we're not now, we just like We have one last thing to say. So we, sure. always, we always end our, our podcast with this. Until next time, may all your hits be crits. Hi, this is Sean Patrick Fennin, founder and chief visionary officer of Evil Beagle Games. We're the publisher of Shintar, the epic high fantasy setting for Savage Worlds. It's like Lord of the Rings meets Die Hard. We also publish the very cool and quirky deck-building game, Colossal Clash. 
The Beagle's proud to sponsor the Gamer's Tavern, a place where you can relax and get schooled at the same time. Seriously, you listen to these guys, you get free points on your Gamer Knowledge Score. So grab a drink and listen to my friends Ross Watson and Daryl Mott as they interview the best and the brightest in the hobby about all kinds of great stuff, or live play something really cool at the virtual table. And remember, Evil Beagle Games, bad dog, good games. Now somebody beer me! 